if this is your first time here, uh, we want to give you a special welcome. My name is Danny, uh, and I am I'm covering for Pastor Carlos today, who is not here. He is with his family in, in Africa, in the country of Uganda. Um, yeah, and he will be with us, though, uh, soon. He'll be with us next Sunday. So we uh, continue to pray for him and his family for safe travels. But like I said, if it's your first time here, we are excited to have you here. Um, yeah, please fill out a connecting card in the back so we get to know you a little better, and we will be reaching out to you just to, uh, just to check in and, and see how we can walk alongside you. If, if you're looking for a home church, um, here we are. Amen. Um, so we've prayed for the message, and uh, we can jump right in. Amen. The, the title of today's sermon, uh, I, I kind of touched on it a little bit last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, I talked about the audacity of uh, claims that Christianity makes, right? Um, if you think about, you know, the stuff that we talk about in church, talk about Christianity, and, and if you kind of put yourself in somebody's shoes who might not have grown up in church, I grew up in church, so sometimes I need to like step back and put myself in somebody's shoes who probably didn't grow up in church. And I look at Christianity and the, make, and the claims that it makes, it's like, eh, it's, I, I can see, I can see why they would think it's kind of crazy, right? Um, we live in a culture, right, that, um, that really exalts self-image, right? And it's nothing new. Uh, I, think, I think the worship of, of self, the, the desire to take God's place has always been, since Adam and Eve to us, uh, has always been part of, of the struggle of, of man, right? The, the tension between man and God, right? God, God is God, and then we try to play God, right? And the way we want to play God is, is are we relevant enough, right? Um, same issue in different ways. You know, we have social media now. And so, are, are you relevant enough? Are you on Instagram enough? Are you on TikTok enough, right? Um, do, you, do you have enough stuff? You are, you are high value if you're doing X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and, and so, our culture really pushes for status and for wealth and for chasing the bag. Um, and because self is so, so exalted, it, it's come to the point where we are, we are told we must tolerate and we must agree with anything and everything that is said in our culture. And to speak in any way, right, and to speak in any way that is, that is absolute is deemed arrogant and bigotry. And so for the Christian, sometimes this can be an issue because we claim that Jesus is the only way back to God. And so when we claim such things in our world, we are deemed arrogant. Bigots, Right? Some would even say that we don't even really know. I mean, I don't, I don't you know if people will say, like, I don't, I don't know. Did Jesus actually say that about himself? Did Jesus say he was God? Did Jesus believe that? Right? And so that's what we're going to dive into today. Um, you can open your Bibles. And we're going to see what Jesus said about himself. You can read in, in your Bible or you can follow along um, behind me. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is a part of scripture that some of us might be familiar with, others might not. It 
Jesus is answering a question his disciples make in this, in this part. And he says, um, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it, it, it seems, at least in this, this one verse, Jesus is being pretty clear, right? But do we see that anywhere else? If we go to the next chapter, chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, we're going to be reading quite a bit of scripture today. I hope that's okay with you guys. Um, John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says about himself, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Um, I, like, I like sharing an experience I had with this portion of Scripture. Um, I was in my early 20s. And I was kind of navigating a season of my life where I, I, didn't, I didn't question God himself, but I was questioning a lot of what I had grown up with. I grew up in this specific context. Um, and a lot of what was really pushed in that context of church, I, I was wrestling with and struggling with, right? And so um, my journey was, is there sufficient evidence? Is there sufficient evidence to believe logically, right, in God? And that was the journey I was on in, 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 my, in my early 20s. And I think that, that being in that, in that space mentally and, and just emotionally brought me to a place where I was reading this part of Scripture, right? And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I was like, Jesus? Man, I know, I know you're God. The way, the truth, and the life, I, I get with that. I'm, 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 that's cool. But you think you could have phrased that? in a way that maybe didn't sound so much like you were flexing? Because you think you could have phrased that in a way that didn't sound so arrogant? I'm not, I'm not even like, I, I use the word arrogant. I was talking to God as I was reading this. I'm like, kind of sounds arrogant. I'm not, I'm, I'm it. I'm the guy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So I wrestled with that for a bit. If we keep reading in that same chapter, the next few verses, verses 9 through 11, Jesus goes on to say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So I wrestled with this for a few days, right? Jesus kind of sounded arrogant. Um, but thank God. Thank God for his grace. Thanks for, th- thank you, Lord Jesus, for, you know, his, his mercy and the fact that he is patient with slow people like me, right? Um, um, because I really feel like the Lord, uh, after a few days of, of wrestling with this, he really flipped it for me. He flipped the way I, I was looking at it, Right? Sometimes we, we can be so close to something and sometimes we got to zoom out, 
right, in order to see the bigger picture. And I really feel like the Lord did that for me. Um, Jesus does not use parables and metaphors and examples just to be cute, right, just because it sounds cool. Um, Jesus is purposeful in using the parables he would use, right? In this case, he uses the example of a vine and a branch. And for those of us who live in the valley, we know full well what that looks like, right? We're, we're familiar with what that looks like. So if I was to ask anybody in the room, I walk up to a grapevine or I walk up to a tree and I break a branch off the tree, what is the natural effect? What happens to the branch if I break it off the tree? It dies. Yes. And so we see these, this natural order in, in our natural world, right? And no one seems to be bothered by the fact that the branch dies. We just understand. We understand that that's what happens when you break something off its life source in our natural world, right? And yet human beings, we get so offended. We get so offended when Scripture confronts us in our attempts to live life detached from God. But if we were created, if God created human, be- human beings, humanity, to be tethered to God the way branch is tethered to tree, what is the natural effect if we detach ourselves from God? We die. Death. Right? Adam and Eve did not die physically in the moment, but the moment that they disobeyed God, they ruptured the relationship. And so the death that God speaks of when he says, you will surely die if you eat of the tree, was the relationship between God and man was ruptured. This is, this is what death looks like. Right? And so like I was saying earlier, Scripture doesn't just want to be cool. Right? Jesus isn't just trying to be relevant when he uses metaphors. Scripture paints for us a very accurate description of the condition and the state of our hearts apart from God. And it paints an accurate description of our need to be grafted back. Anybody have green thumbs around here? Anybody work with plants, likes to grow plants? How do you, how do you, how do you graft? What, what, what's the process of grafting? Exactly. Exactly. You take a foreign plant and you attach it and you wrap it up so that it attaches to a new plant. Right? And so in light of this great and severe need that we have, right, because we've been separated from God, if Jesus, like we saw in John 14, 6, if Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and the only way back to God, by him stating, apart from me, you can do nothing, is that not one of the greatest forms of love he could show us? This is how the Lord flipped it for me, right? If Jesus really is who he says he is, the only way back to God, by him stating, apart from me, you can do nothing, what he's actually doing is loving us. Is it arrogant? Is it arrogant to be the only one in the room with sight 
and want to steer those away who don't have sight away from harm. Right? Is it arrogant of me to be the only one with sight in the room and I'm surrounded by people who can't see and I see them walking into things, I want to steer them away. And so the way I do that, I need to draw them to myself so I can walk them out the door. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is saying everywhere else that you would look, everywhere else that you would uh, hope would give you some sort of satisfaction, would make you whole, it's all dead end. I can get you home. Stick with me. Right? In verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, he tells his disciples, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be what? Complete. Who benefits from this? We do. Right? Jesus does not benefit from this in any way, shape, or form. This is not Jesus showing up to the scene, puffing himself up. This is him letting us know, guys, I know how to get home. I am the way home. Stick with me. This, this is what's best for you. Right? And so we could have the conversation of, of, of the exclusivity of Christ, right? Among other gods as being the only way back to God. And whether or not you could convince the world around us of this truth is not the point. But what nobody can deny is that Jesus believed this about himself. That he stated this about himself. That he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. That he said things like, apart from me, we can do nothing. That he said that by remaining in him, our joy would be complete. When something is complete, does it lack anything? No. And so it seems that Jesus had no problem speaking about himself in terms of absolute. And so whenever we are challenged or confronted by someone and called arrogant for claiming that Jesus is it, just remember that Jesus said it first. And if this claim wasn't crazy enough, right, if it wasn't audacious enough, Scripture goes on to claim Right? That Jesus is it, and then he went and died on a cross to save us from sin. What? Scripture tells us that the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I've, I've, heard, I've heard some people, I've heard some people label the cross as cosmic child abuse. Right? How, how, can I, how can I follow a God? How can I follow a God that needs, why, why, why is your God so bloodthirsty? Right? Why, 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 why all the sacrifices and, and then Jesus dying on the cross? Why? I don't know. It's, it's weird. Right? In the, in the same conversations, people will say, well, if God is all-powerful, why did he need to kill Jesus? Why couldn't he just, like, snap his fingers and just forgive everybody, right? He's all-loving. 
But I think human beings, we, yeah, we need to make up our minds, right? Either, either we believe that evil and injustice in this world is actually a thing that actually needs to be addressed, or it's not that big a deal. Either evil in this world is actually a thing that actually deserves our attention, that actually needs to be addressed, or it's not. Because we can tell God all day, well, God, why are you so petty? But then the moment something impacts us, something, the, the moment that we see something on TV and it's like, man, that was wrong. All of a sudden, well, if God was real, why didn't he stop that? Also, now, now it needs to be addressed. Right? And so in the Old Testament, God deals with sin in a way that maybe, yeah, maybe it doesn't make sense to us all the time. He sets up a sacrificial system. Right? And in the sacrificial system, could it be? Could it be that in the sacrificial system, when, when a lamb was brought and was slain to pay for sins, could it be that God was showing us, showing his people that no, evil and sin is not something you just walk away from. Sin is not something you just overlook and shrug your shoulders at. There is actual consequence. There's actual effect to the sin that we usher in. Because we, we can't actually see sin itself, right? We, we see the effects of it. We see the symptoms. And so sometimes we can forget that we are participants we are contributors, right? And so the lamb would be slain and the innocent would pay for the guilty. And God would show, would show his people this in, in the sacrificial system, but also we could see a foreshadow, an example of one who would one day come, right? A foreshadow of the promise God made to Adam and Eve the moment, the moment that they messed up, Sometimes, go off on a tangent just for a little bit. Sometimes people want to bit, bit the, the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God, right? Like Old Testament God's all wrath, New Testament God's all love. And, and people completely skip over the fact that the moment Adam and Eve mess up, God, God reads out for them what's going to happen now. And as soon as he does that, he makes a promise. Right? He speaks to the serpent and tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. That is the promise of a Messiah from Genesis. So whenever someone wants to tell you Old Testament God versus New Testament God, it's not how it goes. Old Testament God is the same God through and through. Right? The promise of a Messiah from Genesis. And so in the sacrificial system, we see in the flesh the effect of sin that someone has to pay for it, right? And it is a foreshadow of the promise that one day someone would come and would be the final and ultimate sacrifice. And one for one last time, the innocent would pay for the guilty. And at the cross, we see the effect of our sin, the consequence of our sin, but the difference is at this time. This time around, not only do we see the effect and the consequence of our sin, but we see the solution. We see the solution to our sin in Jesus. 
the world we live in would claim that faith is no longer needed. That knowledge, technology, science has brought us farther than faith ever could. And not to take anything away from anyone, but do we really believe that the more knowledge we have, that guarantees more knowledge does it guarantee more morality? Does more knowledge guarantee more morality? We want to pretend like humanity has, has we've advanced so much in technology and knowledge of the world around us, but violence is still very much a thing. And the strong still takes advantage of the weak. Sin is still a thing, right? And we know so much now. But maybe, maybe that's a heart issue then. Maybe these things of, of sin and injustice is something that is so integrated into the human heart, into the human nature, that it takes someone or something outside of ourselves to step in and save us from it. the audacity of Christianity to claim that Jesus is it, to claim that he came and he died on the cross to save us from sin. And if that wasn't crazy enough, the third claim is that he got up. Right? Three days later, Jesus got up from the dead. And and this isn't, again... If, if nothing else, when we read scripture and we study and we address these questions, we cannot just kind of skip over the resurrection, right? The whole of Christianity hinges on this. Did Jesus get up from the dead? It's so serious that Paul goes on to say, if Jesus didn't actually get up from the dead, all of this has been for nothing. The past 2,000 years have been the biggest joke Gotcha. We can go home. But if Jesus did get up from the dead, if the resurrection actually happened, then we have reason to be confident that Jesus is who he said he was when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have reason to be confident in him when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have reason to believe that when he said that his death pays for our sins, we have reason to be confident. Right? And so these conversations with people who disagree with what Scripture says about Jesus, they're important. Right? Sometimes they can be scary. What if I don't have the right answer? Right? And it's okay. It's okay. Have those questions. Peter, Peter tells us, always, always have a response for the reason, right? Or, or a reason. Always have a reason for the hope that we have. And communicate it with gentleness and respect. We are not called to go start arguments. We're not called to um, pick fights. Um, we don't have to prove anything, right? But if we find ourselves in a conversation where we're, our faith is being, you know, what, what, why, why do you believe what you believe? Or how can you believe what you believe? Have a reason. 
And if your story is the reason you have, then share your story, right? Because it's not about convincing them, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Today's message, I hope, would be just an encouragement that we have reason to be confident. Whether this world accepts it or not, whether we, they agree with us or not, you, church, have reason to be confident that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he's done. I'd like to read one more scripture. It's kind of long, so hang in there. To wrap up, I'd like to read uh, out of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read 10 verses, the first 10 verses. This is, this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Scripture. John, John wrote the book of Revelation, and so John communicates to us what, what he saw, right? He would have visions, and this was one of them. Uh, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. And one of the elders... Uh, sorry, lost my place. Uh, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The exclusivity of Jesus is not just about Jesus versus other religions, but that Jesus stands alone and over anything or anyone that would claim to hold salvation for us outside of him. Anything that would claim to make us whole outside of him. In the scene we just read in Revelation, I remember when, when I first read it, I was moved. 
I was moved by the fact that John says he wept and wept because no one was found that was worthy. Have you ever wept? Have you ever wept over hopelessness? Have you ever wept over injustice? Have you ever wept out of frustration? Have you ever wept out of sadness, out of anger? Have you ever wept because you felt like there was none? There was no one coming. There was no one found. John wept. Have you ever looked at the state of our world and wept? But then an elder stands up and tells John, do not weep. And then scripture goes on to highlight Jesus once again as the only one worthy. And so the exclusivity of Jesus is good news. Why? Because everything that has ever brought you to your knees, everything that has ever broken you, everything that you've been through, everything that we see our world go through, there is one who stands victorious over it. There is one in which we can say we have real hope. There is one in which, in which we can say actual sin, actual injustice, actual evil has been conquered Actually, the lamb that was slain. And so, I, I don't know, I can't explain why God decided to use lambs and sacrifice. But I know that the lamb that was slain conquered the sin we ushered in. Conquered the sin that has hurt us. The things that have hurt you. Right? And sometimes we, 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 we shove that down and we, and we put it behind us and it's like, I just got to keep moving forward. And Jesus is like, no, I, I conquered that. Give it to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That thing that you don't share about, that thing that you pretend you're over, like, that, that's what the exclusivity of Jesus is about. Yes, Jesus versus other gods, that's a conversation we can have. But deeper, you, your story, right? Jesus has conquered and is victorious. And that victory is passed on to you when you surrender to him. Right? It's, it's crazy to me that, that the lamb stands up and, and grabs the, the, the scroll. And then what does heaven do? What does all of heaven do? It begins to sing, right? And the celebration is that by his blood, by his blood, people from everywhere have been purchased back to God. Like heaven celebrates the cross. Heaven celebrates the cross. And sometimes we can think of the cross as just an earthly event. Like God came over here to handle business and did his thing here and then it's just here. Heaven celebrates this, right? The exclusivity of Jesus is not just Jesus versus other gods or just Jesus versus other religions. The exclusivity of Jesus is that you have found hope. You have found a way back to God. 
or rather, that way has found you. Right? In Him, we have hope, actual hope. In Him, we have victory, actual victory, despite the circumstance you might find yourself in. The exclusivity of Jesus is not arrogance, it's warning signs. This way, don't go that way. The exclusivity of Jesus is love to a humanity that is blind in a dark room. Again, Imago, we are not called to save anyone. Right? We're just human. We're just human on a journey with everybody else. We are not called to convince anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. We're not called to pick fights, right? We're not called to start arguments. But just know this, you have reason to be confident. Not just because we wake up on Sunday morning to come to church. Not just because, just because of traditions. We have reason to be confident because of Him. Because of who He is and what He has accomplished in you. Amen. We have reason to be confident in these audacious claims that Christianity makes. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, that that truth is not just an intellectual thing. We thank you, God, that truth is not just something we believe and have intellectual assent in, Lord, but that truth, your truth, God, digs deep into our lives, into the events that we go through, into the experiences that we go through, God, that you care and that you love, Lord Jesus, us, when we didn't deserve it. In all the places where we have tripped and fallen, in all the places where it seems that we keep repeating the same cycle, Jesus, you are concerned. You are interested in stepping in and saving us, Lord. And so my prayer this morning, and I pray that my brothers and sisters would pray along with me, God, that you would come and you would do in us what only you can do. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. And thank you that you found us. Because without you, Jesus, we could do nothing. You are good, God. Amen. And amen.